Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. I'm your host, Harry Simiu. And on this edition, we'll be looking back at that friendly victory over Charlton Athletic. We'll be talking a little bit about Mikel Arteta's defence and we'll be focusing on Eddie Enketia. Hello, good evening and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by AMS Media Limited. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. And as I said at the top of the programme, on this edition, we're going to be talking about that friendly victory over Charlton Athletic. We're going to be talking a little bit about Mikel Arteta's defence and we're going to be focusing on Eddie and Ketia. Uh, while you're here, don't forget to subscribe, like, share. I thought I'd get that in early before I forget. Um, and we'll also be coming to some of your listener questions a little bit later on in the show. You've been kindly sharing those with me via Twitter over the last couple of days. So I look forward to delving into some of those as well. Now, um, I did advertise that I was going to go live at around about 6 p.m. UK time. It's half past five. We're going a little bit early. And that's because for once I finished work early. Uh, so I want to make the most of that, take advantage of that. And then I want to enjoy my evening and chill out and rest and spend time with my son, who I don't get to see an awful lot because I'm always working. So um, I'm looking forward to tonight and, and things being a little bit different. So I thought I'd get this done and early out of the way. Of course, the audio version, if you're listening uh, via the audio, will be available on Wednesday morning. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review if you're listening via Apple Podcasts. Right, let's uh, get straight into it. Uh, Arsenal defeated Charlton Athletic by six goals to nil over the weekend. It was a friendly um, that was uh, played behind closed doors. Truth be told, not a lot of people knew about it until the day. Um, there were whispers about it. There were rumours about it, but we, were, we weren't we were entirely sure. Um, and then, of course, the friendly took place over the weekend. So um went really well from an Arsenal perspective, as you can tell by the scoreline. Uh, Eddie Nketiah got a hat-trick. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang getting on the score sheet. Alexander Lacazette with a really, really good finish. And, of course, uh, Joe Willock got in on the act as well. Now... When we're talking about this game, it's important not to get carried away. I mean, Charlton Athletic are a side who are struggling down the bottom of the championship. Um, you know, they've had all sorts of problems going on behind the scenes, which definitely hasn't helped them uh, in terms of their uh, campaign this year. So, you know, I've got a lot of sympathy for Charlton Athletic as a football club. Um, I started off the season actually doing quite a bit of work on Charlton Athletics. I was covering Arsenal and Charlton. And it's a club I got to know quite a bit about. And you do when you're covering a club. You know, you get a little bit invested. Um, there are another London club as well. Um, I was actually born in, in South London. So um, not saying that I've got any sort of feelings towards Charlton Athletic. But, you know, it was a club that I took quite a bit of interest in. I took pride in covering them. To see where they are now... Um, it is horrible. They're suffering. Lee Bowyer, in my opinion, is a good manager. But unfortunately, there's been so much crap going on behind the scenes. And he's now got the added uh, disadvantage of his main striker, Lyle Taylor, turning around and saying that he doesn't want to play from fear of getting injury uh, in the remainder of the season and therefore scuppering any chances he has of making a move to a bigger club in the summer. So it's an absolute shit show down at the Valley. Um, it looks like the ownership of the club is going to change hands once again um, after some news that broke in the last couple of days. So we'll have to see how that unfolds. 
But let's talk about Arsenal's performance. And I've heard a lot of people drawing loads and loads of conclusions about this game and talking about formation changes and talking about individual players' performances. Um, but the truth is that nobody saw the game in full. Nobody watched 90 minutes. So I'm not going to sit here and try and convince you of, of this and that when, truth be told, I've only seen the highlights, just like everybody else. The game was played behind closed doors. It wasn't televised. Nobody has seen more than a, what, five, 10-minute highlight reel, if that. So, you know, to sit here and, and, and say, yeah, this happened and that happened and the game changed when this happened or the game changed when this player went off or this player was introduced, I think is silly. So I'm not going to do that. Um, but I'm going to focus on a player um, who made a, an impact based on, obviously, the outcome of the game, and that is Eddie Nketiah. And my assessment of Eddie Nketiah on this edition of the podcast is not going to be based on the Charlton game because, like I've just said, there are so many reasons as to why I cannot sit here and give you an an educated opinion on, on a game that I haven't seen in full. I've, you know, it's just the highlights. But obviously, Eddie Nketiah's season um, has been a strange one. He was, of course, loaned out to Leeds United, uh, who are flying in the championship top of the league at the moment, um, hoping to secure promotion back to the Premier League for the first time, actually, since their relegation in 2004. Yes, it was that long ago, 16 years uh, since Leeds have been in the top flight, which when you think about the size of the club, it's incredible. Um, but Eddie Nketiah went there and Eddie Nketiah didn't get much game time made a, an impact in a few games here and there off of the substitutes bench. Um, and many Arsenal fans were quick to point the finger and say, look, how can Eddie Nketiah be good enough for Arsenal when in actual fact, you know, he's not even good enough to break into Marcelo Bielsa's side in the championship. So I think there's a few things that you have to take into consideration here. So number one, Eddie Nketiah not being in Marcelo Bielsa's side was purely down to the profile of the player that he wishes to have in that centre-forward role. We've seen the centre-forward role adapt um, a little bit in recent years. And what I mean by that is there are players, and the best example I can think of is probably Liverpool's Roberto Firmino, who doesn't score a shitload of goals, doesn't score a ton of goals, yet receives credit and praise from every angle. And that's because... People, in my opinion, nowadays are more educated when they watch football. And I don't mean that in the sense of the people that didn't watch it previously uh, were stupid or anything like that. But what I'm saying is football has evolved as a game. I think tactically it's a lot more um, sophisticated than it ever has been. And someone like Roberto Firmino, whilst he maybe doesn't score as many goals as a Sergio Aguero, for example, or even a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, what he does bring to the table is he brings up um, he brings a, a lot of link-up play. He brings um, the fact that he can occupy defenders and his runs and often when he drops deep can create space for others. And that is so, so important now in the modern game where coaches are very tactically clued up that as a unit, you can put together patterns of play that will open up spaces for your team. And often when you see chances created, it's off the back of not just one pass anymore, not just one killer pass, but off a series of passes, off a series of movements. And that's how you open teams up. And Roberto Firmino is someone who does that really, really well. Now, my worry with Eddie Nketiah is that Eddie Nketiah is a more traditional type of striker. And, and I've seen Arsenal fans compare him to Ian Wright. Look, he's got a long way to go before he can be spoken about in the same breath as, as Ian Wright. But where I think that comparison is, is 
quite accurate is in the sense of his positioning and where he likes to appear on the pitch and the positions that he takes up and where exactly he comes alive. Eddie Nketiah comes alive inside the penalty area. That space between the penalty spot and the six-yard box, that is Eddie Nketiah's domain, if you like. That is where Eddie Nketiah springs to life. And that is where Eddie Nketiah wants to be. But unfortunately, in the modern game, you're going to have times as that type of player where you're not going to see much of the ball. You're going to be on the peripheries of the match and you're not going to get the service necessarily that you'd like. And often you're going to have to come deeper. You're going to have to pull out to the right. You're going to have to pull out to the left in order to get more involved in the game. What does that mean? It means that you can't be in those positions as often as you'd like. And when I say those positions, I mean that position inside the penalty area where you can finish, where you can do what you do best as a striker, and that is poach goals. You know, when I think back to some of my favourite players of all time, not necessarily Arsenal, but, uh, you know, Filippo Inzaghi was someone who was brilliant at that. He could be on the peripheries of a game for ages and then pop up inside the penalty area. And with one touch, he's decided the game. You know, a more recent example would be somebody like Mauro Icardi, for, who was obviously at Inter's at PSG now. But Mauro Icardi during his time at Inter was was very capable of doing that same thing. Ghosting through a game, you'd often watch 90 minutes and he touched the ball a handful of times. But when that moment came and when the ball was put into the right area or worked into the right area, eventually there was Mauro Icardi to poach a goal and make the difference. Eddie Nketiah for me is that type of player. He's not like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in the sense that he necessarily wants a ball played into a channel and he wants to run onto it and he wants to open up his body in a sort of Thierry Henry style and finish it. He's not like Alexander Lacazette for me where he wants to receive the ball to his feet, even uh, with his back to goal and he's going to spin with a quick piece of movement or trickery and, and rifle it into the roof of the net. That's not Eddie Nketiah. Eddie Nketiah is a poacher. In my view, Eddie Nketiah is somebody who wants to arrive in those positions with the ball there uh, for him to finish it. Whether that's a pullback from, you know, the likes of Saka getting forward or whatever, I don't know. But I, that's the point I'm trying to make. Eddie Nketiah is, is that type of striker. And I've come to that conclusion having watched him, you know, quite a bit over the last few seasons. And, and, and that is where I stand on the type of player that Eddie Nketiah is. Do I think that Eddie Nketiah, though, offers enough um, to the team overall for you to carry him? That's a really, really difficult question to answer because I think that with those strikers and those strikers more so than others, they are judged purely on the amount of goals that they bring to the table. And you could argue that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at times is on the peripheries of a, of a match and that he only pops up with a goal from time to time. And then you think, well, not from time to time, very often, actually. But I guess the point I mean is, what else does he offer to the team? Not He's not hardworking necessarily. He's not robust. He's not someone who's going to get uh, in the faces of the centre-backs. He's not a target man. So that's the point I'm trying to make. But when a player like Aubameyang scores as many goals as he does, it's very difficult to argue against him being in the side. So for me, it's very difficult for Eddie Nketiah to establish himself in this starting eleven, unless he's going to put goals in with great regularity, because ultimately that is what he's going to be judged on. Now, I guess the type of striker that Eddie Nketiah is nowadays is not fashionable anymore. And the, as the game evolves and as the game changes, we see different things, don't we? So 
and number 10 was massive. You know, everybody used to talk about number 10s. And then Liverpool and Manchester City, for example, ended up slightly changing that and changing the mould and breaking the mould and going in a different way with a midfield three. And then often you see Kevin De Bruyne break forward for City and create stuff, or, or he can create from a deeper position. In Liverpool's case, they use their wingers as their creative outlet and their fullbacks. And then you've got a harder working midfield of the likes of Henderson, Fabinho and, you know, Wijnaldum, for example. So we're seeing as the game evolves, we see players' roles develop and we see uh, an important the importance of certain roles either increase or decrease. And the poacher striker is not something that you see every day anymore. And that makes Eddie Nketiah unique but it also makes it more difficult, in my opinion, for him to establish himself as a regular starter in Mikel Arteta's Premier League team. What do I think of him in terms of his ability? I think that Eddie Nketiah has um, clearly got a knack for scoring goals. He's clearly got a knack for appearing um, in the right place at the right time and taking up those positions. We know that he's been mentored um, quite a bit by Ian Wright in the past. We know that um, you know, that will no doubt help. And even if it's not necessarily on a tactical side, but it's from a, you know, how to manage your personal life perspective, which is important for young footballers too. We know that Ian Wright has had a positive influence on Eddie Nketiah's career and that's great. But in terms of how he establishes his, how he establishes himself in this team, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. And I think that you're going to see with Mikel Arteta between now and the end of the season, a lot of rotation in those forward areas, with the exception of Aubameyang, in my opinion, who is a nailed on starter week in, week out. I think you're going to see Laka play sometimes through the middle. I think you're going to, sometimes you're going to see Eddie play there. I think you're going to sometimes see Martinelli, sometimes Nelson. And I think Mikel Arteta is going to use the remainder of the season to... Um, you know, to, to establish the way he wants to move forward, even if, um, well, particularly if, I mean, you know, early on in the restart, it, it becomes apparent that the Champions League places are out of our reach. Now, some would argue that they're out of our reach already, but Mikel Arteta's got to go for it. So I think he will do that. But if it becomes uh, abundantly evident, if we drop points in the first couple of games and those that we're chasing pull away from us further, I think you'll start to see him experiment. And rightly so. Um, you know, next season is is going to be the real test of, of Mikel Arteta um, rather than this season where he's come in and taken uh, on an absolute shit show uh, left behind by Unai Emery. So that's where I stand on Mikel Arteta. In, in answer to the question in the title of the podcast, is, Mikel, is Eddie Nketiah, sorry, the real deal? I don't know yet, um, is the honest truth. I think he is a useful striker. Um, I think he is somebody that will score goals if given the game time. But the jury is out on whether he is good enough to lead the line for a club as big and as ambitious as Arsenal and with a fan base as demanding as Arsenal's. That's my kind of uh, conclusion on Eddie Nketiah. I hope he is. I hope he proves me wrong. But for me, there are still question marks about that. And a 6-0 a, a win over Charlton Athletic and a friendly in which Eddie Nketiah scored a few goals, isn't going to change my opinion on that. It's going to take more than that. And fingers crossed he delivers and fingers crossed, you know, he can come through and he can establish himself because we all want to see the boys that have come through the setup be successful. So that's my thoughts on Eddie and Eddie Nketiah. Sorry, let me know what you think in the comments section. I'll be coming back to some of those in a few moments time. Got a point out. 
just eight more sleeps until Premier League action returns, until Arsenal take on Manchester City at the Etihad. And of course, that was the game that we were due to play on that Wednesday night before it was uh, postponed due to the coronavirus outbreak. Rightly so, I have to add, it was the right decision to make that call. I'm glad that the authorities did it. And if you just think how many people could have contract, how many more people could have contracted the virus had that gone ahead, then it's scary to think, um, you know, that we were like, what, 24 hours away? It was less than 24 hours to go when the game was postponed. So, you know, it tells you uh, how much we dodged the bullet there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Arsenal's defence. And, and it's an area in which Arsenal clearly need to improve. I don't think there are many fans out there who will dispute that. Um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, David Lewis leaving um, with his contract coming to, to an end. And I was thinking about our central defensive options. Uh, and I, I just jotted down a quick list and, and let me know if I've missed anyone because I've literally just done this now. Um, you've got David Lewis, Pablo Marie, Socrates, Mustafi, Holding, Saliba, and of course Chambers um, is going to return as well at some point. So there's quite a few options there. I think we can all agree that we could do with upgrading on a lot of them. But Mikel Arteta has options and Mikel Arteta can, um, in my opinion, I guess, work now to try and find the most effective combination. Um, often when you're talking about central defensive partnerships and you're talking about central midfield partnerships, even it's a, a lot of the time it's about balance. Do the two players complement each other? Do the two players have a strong understanding um, amongst themselves? Do the two players, um, you know, fit together? I guess like a jigsaw, you know, you're not always going to get the perfect fit, but you can try and get the best fit possible. Um, and I think that Mikel Arteta um, has got a difficult job on his hands doing this. I think this is one of the biggest challenges that Mikel Arteta faces as the Arsenal boss at the moment. As far as we're aware, there aren't going to be uh, major amounts of money available to him in the summer. Uh, there aren't going to be, um, you know, tons of, uh, well, there isn't going to be tons of cash for him to go out and, and break the bank and sign in top, top quality central defenders. The club have obviously made a big investment in uh, William Saliba. Um, that was before Mikel Arteta came along. Um, so there's no guarantee that he's going to like William Saliba straight away, that William Saliba is going to come in um, instantly uh, because ultimately Mikel Arteta had no input in him coming to the club. Um, Pablo Marie is someone that Mikel Arteta has brought to the club. Is he someone that Mikel Arteta sees as a long-term solution or was he just trying to plug a hole? That remains to be seen. Uh, Shkodran Mustafi has improved under Mikel Arteta with the exception of a few mistakes here and there. But will he believe that he can do the job in the longer term? Don't think so. Socrates, lots and lots of uh, passion. Um as people like to point out, but in terms of ability, not quite there in my view. Um, you know, we don't know how long it's going to take Callum Chambers to get back to fitness. Rob Holding is someone who's not looked the same since he came back from his long-term injury. So there's so many questions um, to be asked there. Um, and it, it will be interesting to see whether Mikel Arteta picks a pair now that the Premier League is returning and sticks with them or whether Mikel Arteta uses this period, um, as I said, perhaps if we find 
couple of games into the restart that the Champions League is looking out of our reach. Will he then use the remainder of the season to test out different pairings and see how that goes? I don't know. Um, There's so much to to keep an eye on uh, in terms of how Mikel Arteta is going to take this team forward and how we might progress. In the fullback positions, I think it's a lot simpler. Um, of course, when you look at right back, you've got Hector Bellerin, the standout choice. Ainsley Maitland-Niles has filled in there at times. Don't know what's going on with Cedric Suarez, if I'm completely honest. Uh, is the loan deal going to be extended? I don't, I don't know. Um, if I have missed something on that, it's because um, I've been inundated with work and focusing on other things um, over the last few weeks, given that the Premier League has stopped and given that the podcast uh, stopped for a few weeks as well. So I don't know. There are pictures of Cedric Suarez in training with Arsenal. And so if he's if he was going to go, I don't think the club would have been releasing them or if he had. Well, we know he hasn't left yet. Um, but yeah, be interesting to see if he's fit now. Um, then we've also seen Mikel Arteta at times use Mustafi and Socrates in those positions. And as I said on the last video, which was the tactical adjustments that Mikel Arteta has made. If you haven't checked it out, please check it out. Um, on the channel, I, I spoke about the the changed role for the Arsenal right back and that with Arsenal's left back, whether it's Saka or Kolasinac bombing on as often as they do, we're likely to see the right back role slightly adapted, at least for the time being, at least till someone comes in that Mikel or he has a central defensive pairing that he's completely happy with. I think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see the right back be a bit more conservative, which doesn't mean that you're going to see Socrates and Mustafi playing there regularly, but what it means is they can slot into that role if need be, um, if they're not expected to to be bombing on and providing support. Um, there's the question around Bukayo Saka. You know, fantastic players coming to the team. He's been excellent. He's been brilliant. But then, you know, now that Kolasinac is back, do you look at using Saka in a, a more advanced role? Or... Do you leave him at left back? There, there are so many questions and, you know, I can give my thoughts and my opinions on those. And I think that Saka in the longer run is a forward and I want to see him in a position where he can impact games more. Um, having said that, he has been able to impact games arriving late because often when you do that uh, from left back, you are unmarked. You're not necessarily the, the, the fullback's primary focus. You become an overload. And being an overload means that you're often a spare man and you have that space and you can you can get forward and create stuff. So be interesting to see Mikel Arteta weigh that up. Does he feel like Saka uh, is going to be more effective being that overload player? Does he feel like uh, he doesn't want to see him stuck at left back moving forward? I don't know. There's so, so much to discuss. Let's go through uh, some of your comments uh, in regards to the stuff that um, I've been discussing so far. And then I'll come to some of the questions that you guys have been uh, sending me via Twitter over the last uh, few days. Uh, Omar says, Enketia, not good enough, in my opinion. Uh, going back to my comments on Eddie, uh, Eddie a little bit earlier on. Uh, Stan the Man says, Eddie always does well in friendly or preseason games. If there's one player in empty stadium might suit, it's probably Eddie Enketia. Um Bennett H says, uh, I'd bring Phil Foden. I think that's wishful thinking, mate. Um, I think Phil Foden is a fantastic talent, but I, I can't see uh, I can't see him coming to Arsenal anytime soon. Uh, Chris says, I think Nketiah would be a good backup for two seasons and after we'll judge if he's good enough for the first team. Um, Marble Halls TV says it was just a friendly 
I think we're looking at this too deeply. And I think you're absolutely right, mate. And that is why I made the point uh, before I even started talking about Eddie and Ketia that I can't believe how many people are drawing these massive conclusions from a game that they've seen a five-minute highlight reel of. I think you're just jumping to conclusions that are, are based on not a great deal. And I don't like doing that. Um, those of you who watch or listen to the show regularly will know that. Um, that's why I haven't got involved in all the transfer talk in recent weeks because I don't think there's any substance to it. So I'm only going to talk about things that I think are relevant. Um, and whilst the friendly was worth a mention, um, it isn't the B1 end or and it shouldn't dictate our conclusions. Um, let's see what else we've got here. Carol says, hi, Harry. Eddie definitely needs to get some playing time this season. Uh, Kevin Mark says, Eddie's never good enough to play for Arsenal. Just my opinion. Uh, talent clarity can be seen from Saka and Martinelli, but less from Eddie. Take into context, all three are in the same age bracket. Yeah, I, I think I agree that they're probably that Martinelli and Saka are probably further along the development line, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, some players develop at different rates. I mean, Ian Wright uh, joined Arsenal pretty late in his career uh, and developed quite late on. So you can't necessarily say that a player is never going to develop. Jamie Vardy's another example of someone who whose career was like that, and all of a sudden it sort of just shot. Um, on a, onto an upward trajectory and now look at him. So, you know, you can't necessarily jump to conclusions on that, but it, it is a valid point and something worth uh, thinking about. Let's have a look at Nikizi says, I still think he needs time on loan, like what Tammy Abraham had at Aston Villa. Good point. Uh, another loan spell uh, might uh, do Eddie and Ketia the world of good. Um, I think that at the time he was brought back from Leeds. I think it just felt like common, uh, like not common sense. I, it felt like the right thing to do to bring Eddie and Ketia back at that point, because it was mid season. If he did go out on loan to somewhere else, he would need time to settle. And then would it be a waste of time? So I think given that he came back in January, I think it was the right call to just bring him back to Arsenal, give him a few games in the cup competitions. And then we can assess over the coming months, whether he needs that loan deal or whether he should, um, he should stay with the club. Uh, going on to my point about the centre-backs, I was talking about the uh, array of central defensive options that Mikel Arteta has at his disposal, not that any of them are particularly great. Uh, here are some of your comments. Uh, Marble Halls TV says, eight centre-backs, eight. Why? Um, we've got a lot. We have got a lot of central defenders at the moment. And I guess that that pot is going to be narrowed down over the coming months, maybe over the summer. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Stan says Mustafi and Socrates should go in the bin and that Pablo Marie is slower than the EA servers. <laughs> um, let's see, uh, what else we've got? Um, question from Azzy. He says, uh, Martinelli, what's your views on him? I think Martinelli is an incredible talent. Um, and I think when I look at him, He's got that typical South American hunger and fire and passion uh, that you see in the likes of that. Well, you have seen in the past in the likes of someone like Carlos Tevez, maybe um, Luis Suarez, that dogged, tenacious, uh, you know, style to their game, but also the technical ability and the talent. And I've been really, really impressed by what I've seen of Gabriel Martinelli. I think that his early performances in an Arsenal shirt have probably increased the pressure on him a little bit. And I do think that in some instances, people are getting carried away. 
I think this guy has got the ability to be brilliant, to be one of the world's best. I, I genuinely feel that. But I also think we have to advise caution and we have to accept that there's going to be some ups and downs along his development path. And so, uh, you know, whilst I'm excited by him and really looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table, I'm not going to put too much pressure on him uh, at this moment in time. Uh, Brian says, you're right, Harry, about getting involved with the transfers at the moment. It's all a load of bullshit. Great show. Cheers, mate. You're welcome, mate. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, and don't forget, guys, if you are watching us on YouTube live at the moment, please do hit that like button. Apologies for the background behind me having a bit of a clear out during the lockdown. Um, been making some uh, modifications to the couple of sets that we've got in the studio. Uh, so over the next uh, week or so, you'll be seeing uh, some some better stuff. So looking forward to getting that all off the ground as well. Um, Chronicles of Aguna is growing um, and we're in the right direction. A big thank you uh, to everyone who supported it uh, in the couple of years it's been going. And also, don't forget to head over to chroniclesafc.com for some written content as well, um, which I'm sure you guys will enjoy. Uh, let's go over to some of the questions that you guys have been sending me over the past couple of days. Uh, and the first one comes from Glenn, who says, uh, who would your starting 11 be for Manchester City? Um, he's got a couple of questions. So I'll start with the, the starting 11 for Manchester City one. And I'm going to cop out of this one, Glenn, by saying that I cannot possibly... Um, I cannot possibly give you a starting 11 for that game because I think that there's going to be so many factors involved. And just like the Bundesliga, which I've been covering a lot of games on in recent weeks, it was so difficult to predict, predict the teams that were going to come back in the restart because of the fitness levels and the fact that some people are at different levels than others. So I'm not going to try and predict the Manchester City 11 but we are going to be doing a preview show on that Monday um, with a Manchester City fan and colleague of mine. So I'll be predicting this starting 11 then when I've got a bit of a better idea uh, as to who's fit and who's not. Um, he says, would you extend Sabahs' loan deal for another season? Danny Sabahs started to show glimpses of him actually settling in uh, before the, the lockdown, which is a fucking pain in the ass because it came at the worst time. In terms of extending the loan deal, um, I don't know um, is is the honest answer because, first of all, Real Madrid have to be willing to do that. The player has to be willing to do that. There's a lot of factors involved um, in extending that loan deal. It's not as simple as me saying, would I do it? If you're asking me, would I do it? If the fee was relatively low and something that Arsenal could afford, then it isn't going to prevent Arsenal moving um, for their targets in the transfer market, wh whoever and how expensive, however expensive they might be then, yeah, I'd extend it. I'd give him another go. I think that there were signs under Mikel Arteta that he was on the right track. Um, and he also says, if we can only fix one position, what would it be? Centre-back or defensive midfield? I think centre-back for me. Um, I feel like if Mikel Arteta gets the balance right in the middle of the park in terms of picking the right personnel, then I think that he can compensate for that a little bit easier than he can compensating for just a poor selection of central defenders. So I choose centre-back on that. Um, what else have we got here? Um, Gunas Podcast says, uh, why do people named Harry always have amazing hair? Thank you very much. Needs a bit of gel today. Bit of a mess. Uh, but thanks for that. I'll take that as a compliment, even if it was intended as a piss take. Um, 
Question from Bandeliz, who says, with the government clearly not concerned with the large crowds during protests over the last week, is it time we started to discuss fans returning to football stadiums? In my opinion, no. Um, I don't think that people should be allowed to gather for the protest in the way they have, given that this thing is still so prevalent. Um, I think that the way the easing of the lockdown has been handled has been all wrong. Um, I think it, in a not, I guess in a, how's the word, how do I put this? Without maybe, no, actually, I, I think they intended to to ease the lockdown by being unclear and by lifting the strictest of restrictions in order to try and get the economy back up and running. I think they've proven that that's all they care about. Um, I think that whilst I've enjoyed some of the restrictions being lifted um, and I've got to see some of my friends and we've had barbecue parties and whatnot, obviously while maintaining social distancing and all that stuff, I don't think it was the right thing to do to, to make that decision so early. Therefore, I can't get behind football fans returning to stadiums uh, right away as much as I'd love to be back at the Emirates uh, as soon as possible. Um, and uh, the last question I'm going to pick up on just because we're running out of time uh, is from Steve. He says, if it were up to you, would you hold on to David Lewis for another season, even if it costs the club five or six million pound in wages? Oh, I, I guess I would keep hold of David Lewis because, I, as I said on a previous podcast, I think not last week, the week before, maybe that his influence on the younger players is positive. Um, add to that the fact that I don't think we'll be spending big in the summer and therefore we probably won't be able to replace him with somebody as experienced. I think you, you, you probably have to hold on to him. Um, but that's all dependent on what comes on, what comes up in the transfer market. If somebody becomes available who Mikel Arteta thinks can do a, a better job over a longer period of time and David Lewis's wage wages would prevent us doing that deal, then yeah, let him go. I, I trust the manager on this one completely, if I'm honest. Um, I think we have to, you know, in previous years, we've we've complained and we've moaned and we've groaned about spending uh, and about the fact that whenever the club seem to spend, they seem to then recuperate a load of money, etc. Um, I, I think this year I'll be giving them a bit of a break from the moans and groans about spending because of the impact of the coronavirus. And I think that it's going to be the, the impact of it is going to be felt right across the game um, rather than just that particular football club. I think there'll be some clubs that deal with it better than others. But the fact that Liverpool, for example, um, pulled out of the deal to sign Werner um, for the sake of 10, 15 million pound difference in the valuation uh, between what they wanted to pay and what the release clause was tells you a lot um, about you know, the, the struggles that some of the, even the bigger clubs are facing, uh, given what's gone on in the last few months. So um, I'm going to be a little bit more patient this summer in, in regards to spending. Um, I hope that Arsenal spend what they do have wisely. Um, but I also think that having asked the players to take a pay cut for a 12 month period, they're going to be reluctant to be doing any major business as well. So I've gone around the houses, but the the long and short of it is I'm going to be giving Arsenal a bit of a break in terms of what they can and can't spend this summer. And I'm going to say that if we can't replace David Lewis because finances don't allow us to do so and it's cheaper to keep him on um, and Mikel Arteta thinks that he can add something and bring something to the squad, then then I'll keep him. Yeah. Um, just finally, I'll, I'll pick up this one that's just come through in the chat. Harry, thoughts on the Thiago Silva link to Arsenal? 
again, he's going to be wanting crazy wages, isn't he? And and this is a problem. So I think that will rule out uh, him coming to the Emirates. You know, there's been links with Thomas Partey as well. I'll just quickly address that again. Um, you know, I'd love to see Thomas Partey come to Arsenal. I really, really would. My heart says, get him, go out there, do what it takes. But my head says that unless, uh, you know, Arsenal are going to really, really go out there and break the bank and I guess risk investing in the hope that it'll bring Champions League back football quickly. Um, you know, I guess the Pepe one was a risk, but it was done over a long period of time. So it's less of a risk, but I'm sure that Atletico Madrid are going to be well aware that they can get Thomas Partey's release clause if there is indeed one um, up front. And I think that that is going to make it really difficult for Arsenal to get that deal done. As much as I'd love to see him come, I'm not overly optimistic about it. And I'm not entirely convinced that Arsenal can do that sort of business uh, this summer. Right. That brings me to the end of another episode. Thank you so, so much to all of you who have tuned in. Um, if you're watching us on the live, hit that like button. It is really, really important. Subscribe to the Chronicles of Aguna if you haven't already. And we have returned to a full program and that is three podcasts per week. We'll be back with a social club and then another Arsenal related episode uh, between now and the end of the week. So I look forward to uh, catching up uh, with you guys then. Until then, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. And it's just eight more sleeps till the Arsenal. Come on, you gunners. <laughs>